0: This is Music Respawn. I'm Kate Remington, catching up with Jason Graves. It's so nice to have a chance to talk with you again.
1: It's been too long. I feel like we talk all the time, and yet I feel like we don't talk enough.
0: Yeah, well, it's just because you're just so busy with all of these projects, which is fantastic because eventually we do come around and we get to talk about all of them, which is just great. So honestly, I've been counting the days until we could talk about your soundtrack for Moss 2, and it, it came out earlier this spring, but the soundtrack has just been released and you can find it everywhere, but it's going to be really fun to talk about.
1: I've been thinking the exact same thing, especially usually when a game comes out, you can at least Talk a little more about the soundtrack, but Polyarc really wanted to hold off until this last um, VR push they did on a new platform, which I was completely fine with, but it was also sort of like, yay, the soundtrack's finished, and then wait, you know, two or three months before you can really chat about it. And this one, um, I remember when we talked about the last Moss Kate, which was like forever ago. But that was so much fun, and it was one of those things that was definitely like, oh, I can't wait to talk about this. I can't wait to talk about <laughs> this. So I'm right there with you.
0: Yeah, so now, now we're doing it, and it's great. And the game itself is just so like exponentially bigger than original Moss. There are some really right? deep emotions that, that are running through it. The world is bigger. Totally. The, the danger is more dangerous. The bosses are bossier.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is mossier and more dangerous. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So,
0: so how, how early after, you know, the original Moss finished and everybody knew that it was such a huge success, how soon after that did Polyarch get going on book two?
1: Let's see. Um, I remember the first thing we did, which was pretty soon after we finished wrapping up the first one, we did the Twilight Garden expansion and that was just sort of jumping right back in and doing, um, well, the music for the Twilight Garden expansion. But I put in this little uh, twist with some penny whistles, and it didn't get a soundtrack release. It was only, like, 12 or 15 minutes of music. Um, And that expansion, the whole level and everything, including most of the music, is in Moss 2. It's sort of, like, included... um, Retrograde, But I guess between that and when we actually started on Moss 2, it was at least a, a couple of years. You know, time, the last two or three years, it seems like it's been 10, and it seems like it's been like two weeks. So I don't know if I could really answer that other than to say I believe it was about a year ago last September that I started on, on this one. So about a year and a half ago.
0: Wow. The the story is just phenomenal. Uh, the, the evil arcane are, are really working hard to, to take over Moss and just basically destroy it. And it's up to Quill and a, a few helpers to, to stop them from doing that. But there are moments where it really kind of seems like it might actually happen. And so there's a lot of tension and a lot of drama. And I'm really curious to, to talk with you about how you kind of raised the scope, it broadened the scope of the music too. Because I remember when we talked originally, you said it was, you know, you used like little mouse size instruments, like uh, little right. flutes, a little harp, um, tiny drums. And and this mm-hmm. just is, is bigger <laughs> and it suits the bigger scope of the game really well.
1: Well, that's really good to hear. I actually haven't spoken to anyone aside from PolyArch, which of course... Is important to know what they think, um, and they really enjoyed the soundtrack. And Greg O'Connor-Reed, my, my publicist, who commented on the recording quality and how amazing it all sounded. Um, but that's it. I haven't gotten any feedback from anyone else. So just to hear the tiniest bit of what you said is, is very affirming. Because that first soundtrack was so near and dear to my heart, and it took a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and a lot of thinking and, you know, beating yourself up like every creative person does to try to get the right sort of sound for the game. And as I've been stuck uh, many other times, uh, had the privilege of writing a sequel to my own music. The beginning is always the hardest because you're sort of asking yourself that very question that you just asked, except usually I just think, well, what now? Well, that was good and it's all finished, and but but, but now what? How do you how do you build on it and make it seem bigger and make it seem more appropriate for the sequel, but also make it seem honest to its heritage and like a true callback to you know what the first one was? And I think, I think a big part of what I loved about the first one was definitely um, Kristen Nagus and her woodwinds. I mean. They're everywhere in the first one, and they're everywhere in the second one. I think we we expanded everything. I basically went from the first Moss and just expanded out. I started with Kristen's Woodwinds, like flute, alto flute, oboe and English horn, and then we added bass flute, bass clarinet, um, bassoon, and every single key of Penny Whistle that she possibly had. I think some tracks, there are like 12 tracks of Woodwinds, not all at the same time, but different tracks playing at different times throughout the queue. So Kristen was really the kind of the basis for everything, so much so that I even I sent her a whole slew of microphones, um, I mean, eight or ten microphones to record, because penny whistles are notoriously shrill. They sound great live because they just really speak, but from a recording standpoint, and I knew this from Twilight Garden, I really wanted to do, like, Celtic music for the first Moss, like a very, you know... Scotch-Irish sort of... In a, in a cool way. But I felt like it was too soon. Like, the story didn't quite need it. And I did the tiniest bit of Penny Whistle. It was in 7-8, I believe. So it wasn't quite the lilting kind of Irish jig sort of feel. But it had that flavor for the Penny Whistle. And it was practically impossible to mix. Um, which is no one's fault, except, you know, we weren't in the recording studio. Kristen was recording herself... At home, and Penny, she can't have a separate microphone for every one of her 500 instruments (laughs) that she owns. So I sent her a bunch, and we did recording tests and ended up on these two mics that we just kept... And she actually still has them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just now realized that. We even talked about microphones because she wanted to buy some microphones similar to the ones that um, we ended up picking. And we had a big, long video chat about it. And then I never, I never asked her to send them back because she basically just has them and she uses them for everything. Not just my own stuff, for all the stuff she records. And that's totally fine. Um, but as usual, I... Digress and talk a little more than you, than you originally asked. It's it's
0: it's never it's never more than. (laughs) I mean it's it's great, (laughs) but what I what I love is not only how you blended all of her wins but you added a cello for this one. And there's just, I don't know, I am such a sucker for cello. I played it when I was in fifth grade, and. I just it, I I switched to flute after that, and I'm always I'm kind of sorry that I did because the cello is just so magnificent, and it's really like listening to someone tell you a story.
1: The cello and the French horn, and probably the clarinet, if I'm going to go through all three major orchestral families, are my three favorite instruments because they're so versatile, and they all actually have a fairly similar range in terms of they can go really high, but they can also go fairly low, and. I think if I had one, if you said, Jason, what's your one regret if you had to pick one? Well, I don't really regret anything. But actually, yeah, I really do wish that I had started taking cello lessons like in elementary school. Because the cello is just such a soulful, singing, emotional, like you said, sort of thing. And I've always, always wanted to write the kind of cello lines that you hear in Moss Book 2. And I just never, I never had the chance and I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to find the right person to play it because those kind of things, especially when you get really high, you got to have the right kind of vibrato and expression and, and everything. Um, so I'm, I would
0: love to know how you track down just the right person for, for these parts. Because, I mean, did you audition for, audition it? Was it like word of mouth? Because I know that, you know, the game composer community is a pretty tight-knit one.
1: They are. And I've got so many good friends who I always seem to be able to rely on when it comes to soloist recommendations. Um, In this case, I've been friends with The Flight over in the UK um, since I met him at GDC, I don't know, maybe four years ago. Such incredibly nice, generous guys. And I was texting with Joe, and he recommended a cello player named Ren Ford, who's a British cello player. And I think he sent me a YouTube link, and it was like Ren playing cello with this guy, maybe doing guitar and singing or something, but his tone and his his intonation and everything that I wanted was right there. And from the very beginning, I just sent him, like I did with Kristen, just my standard little piano roll with my really bad synth cello line that was just so bad to listen to. And... I think maybe twice he gave me an alternate take because he just did like a little less vibrato or a little more vibrato, but 99% of the time he sent me one take and probably 99% of those times I literally just dropped them into the track and I, I didn't touch it. Everything he did. I mean, you hear him jump up the, you know, when he runs up the string and you hear that kind of finger gliss and oh, it's just so amazing. Jeff Ball was an incredible addition to the first Moss, and that was violin. And that was sort of in line with our idea of what you were explaining, the small instruments. So from violin to cello was kind of the, okay, let's get bigger. Let's get a little more emotional. Let's get a little more range out of the instrument and let's try to size things up a little bit. Same thing with Kristen and her woodwinds, going higher to the penny whistles and lower to all those low woodwinds that play underneath, like, the warden's music and kind of all the, the bad guy stuff. Yeah, the cello, wow. I'm, I'm still just amazed that that's my music he's playing. He's just Fantastic.
0: That's incredible. I mean, once you find somebody like that, I'm sure you're going to just like hang on to him and, <laughs> and use him. Oh, yeah. Use him again whenever you can, for sure. So
1: All the time. I mean, the only the only downside is sometimes he's too busy because he tours and does different things. He, he toured with Björk before this, he was playing cello with her. So, yeah, the dude's got some talent. Yeah,
0: wow. And, and then speaking of talent, the other, well, he's not really a newbie because he's been around forever, is the plucked instrument and guitar virtuoso Tom Straley, but I don't think you've worked with him before, have you?
1: I haven't, no. That would be another composer recommendation. Um, I always keep saying, oh, one of my really, really great friends, so-and-so, but they really... You get to know these people, and I think there's just such a common thread there that if you click, you just immediately click so hard and Austin Wintery would be another one of those guys that as soon as we met, was just BFFs forever. And Austin has been telling me for years that I needed to hire Tom. And I just never had gotten to the place where... Normally I play all my own guitars, probably poorly, especially compared to the way Tom does it. But it's like I'm writing with the guitar as I'm playing, right? And I did... I played um, ukulele and acoustic guitar and electric guitar and electric bass in in Moss Book 2, and I played all the guitars in Moss Book 1, but it's like a rhythm guitar thing. I'm pretty good at rhythm guitar, but Tom, he just doubled down on melodies and did licks and things on the bazooki and the oud. And it's funny because, I don't know, maybe you already knew this. I wasn't very aware. There are two different kinds of bazooki. A bazooki is basically like it's like an 8-string uh, double-course guitar, meaning it really has four different notes that it plays, but each one of those strings is doubled up to play in octaves. So you kind of get that octave world, like, you know, sitar kind of vibrating string thing going on. So um, there's an Irish bouzouki and there's a Greek bouzouki, and they sound fairly different. If you saw pictures of them, you'd be like, they look the same. But they really do have a different sound. And Tom, every time I sent him some tracks, he would say, do you want Irish or Greek? And every single time I said, just do both. And after about the third track, where I had him playing melodies, and I'd say, just give me an octave up and an octave down, and he'd do it on both bazookis. So I literally had four bazookis playing the melody all at the same time, and I used all of them all the time. So whenever you hear the bazookie playing the melody, it's four players playing in octaves, and it's just this... This wonderful sound that, like, sounds kind of Irish and Celtic, but also sounds kind of worldy, fantasy, yeah. otherworldy, but it's grounded. And, yeah, that was, he was like the magic fairy dust on top of those cues that he played, for sure.
0: The sound of it is so amazing because it does have that sort of metallic edge to it. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really cool that you paired that with Kristen's flutes for the combat music. And Mm. the the way that you organize the combat music is so interesting because Quill, you know, she became like real badass at the end of the first Moss. And she's still pretty darn confident. And so now that she's so now dealing with bigger enemies, her confidence level has kind of come up too. So I don't know. I think it's a really interesting choice that rather than the enemies, you know, causing her fear and terror and, you know, a little bit of uncertainty, instead she's confident. She's like, I got this. <laughs> so so that's that's what a, is a really cool aspect of combat music because it's like a dance.
1: Exactly. And that's... That was the limb I went out on with the first Moss, was not writing traditional combat music for the combat. And I did a waltz and another thing that was in a major key, and I'd just never done either one of those before. And this time around, I really wanted to push that sort of Scottish snap aspect of it. So I think there's one combat track that is in straight 4-4, but most of the score is in three of some sort, either in a triple meter or in three, four. And the only time you're hearing it in a bucket, in a group of four kind of thing is when you're like underneath the castle. When, when you're underground, that's when things are kind of straight four. It's like they're a little more serious. And I'm sort of thinking from Quill's perspective, but when you're up above ground, it's all not fun and games, but the music is kind of fun. You know, it's fun. <laughs> and I wanted it to be simple. Um, it, it seems in my head doing something like octaves of double-tracked bazookies and octaves of penny whistles too. A lot of times, I'd have Kristen doing kind of dueling penny whistles, and I'd pan them hard left and right. But ultimately, they they'd always come back together and join, especially in the combat music, and play in octaves together. On top of the bazookis, also playing in octaves, and sometimes the oud was doing the exact same thing. But it's kind of that—it's it's it's strong, strength in numbers, and it's kind of all the instruments are ganging up together to like create a sort of unified sound. And we didn't have that in the in the first Moss. Everything was a solo instrument.
0: Yeah, so it gives a, a broader palette, you know. Just it's just a bigger ensemble playing it all, which mm-hmm. you need because some of those enemies. <laughs> there's one in the greenhouse. I swear they just took a page from Dark Souls because that is a really, really tough boss. And so, so you need something that's as weighty as as uh, some of those enemies as well. So um, yeah, totally, so really cool. totally. Well, also, you know, the the bedrock of the first Moss soundtrack was your song home to me and it really kind of you know infused the soundtrack and it's it's dna is all over the soundtrack for book two too but that theme is just so amazing i mean did you have any idea how versatile it was going to be because my goodness you just <laughs> used it in so many different ways in book two
1: I really had no idea. That was honestly um, the biggest question mark in my head at the beginning was, first of all, do I need to do another song? And, you know, I never really started the first Moss thinking, I know what I need to do. I need to write a song. It just felt like the right thing to do. And I didn't feel like I needed to write a song for this one. I, I I couldn't tell you why. But I also didn't have any real like innate need to write some new major theme because I really did enjoy working with the first theme. And a lot of the intervals and things um, were intentionally written with the fifths and not a lot of thirds in there in terms of what the melody is playing. So you kind of have some harmonic diversity there. You can change the chords around. And I thought, well, why not just run with that and then we can add some more things kind of as as things pop up. And some new themes have appeared and they're throughout the score, but really it's the it's those two little simple motifs of the bum 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 Like that's one very simple one. And then the bum 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 the those two right there, just taking that and putting it everywhere i possibly could and once i felt like i was maybe using it a little too much i thought that was probably okay because i was disguising it so many different ways i mean there's sometimes you'll have three instruments playing three different things in three different registers and they're all playing some version of one of those themes and then that little uh da 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 the little kind of celtic snap little lilt thing yeah, that yeah. that goes it's like I would cram it all in there because the idea is, yes, I want it to sound good on the soundtrack, but the developer would have all those individual stems. So they could just use the cello, just use the flute, just use the penny whistle, and there'd be a little standalone kind of ear candy to to hang your hat on, musically speaking. In the game, you could hear all these little things kind of twinkling around the soundscape in the music when you're playing the game.
0: Well, yeah, because it just it, it keeps it as a really cohesive kind of experience because it's always there and it always, re, you know, reminds you that you're in this incredible world that Quill is exploring. And I just love this world. I mean, I just wish I could just Me too. stay there Me too. all the time. I kept like peeking around the corners and it's like, oh, well, what's down What's down that doorway right there? And so it's just such an amazing world, and it must have been such a great source of inspiration for for the music, too, all these different environments.
1: It was that cursed double-edged sword of being incredibly inspiring and and also incredibly intimidating because I wanted to measure up to, to what I felt when I saw these images and what I felt, oh, my gosh, when I... Saw the the library moments, you know, where the story's really moving forward and different things are happening, and I'm literally watching things and tearing up. And it's before Morla has even done her amazing voice work, and there's no music yet, and just it's just the best of everything. Um, I I think there was one cue that I just wasn't really feeling for the one of the underground sections, I think, and I I sent it to to Stephen and Kristen. Uh, Kristen Quinn is the audio director, and Stephen Hody was the audio director on the first Moss, and he sort of took a lateral position to more um, sound design implementation. There were only two of us on the first one. It was just Stephen and I. This time, they had the privilege of having two people on the team doing (laughs) audio and music. (laughs) Three, if you include me. But I sent it to Kristen and and Stephen, and they were like, they pretty much agreed with me. Yeah, like, it doesn't quite feel—I just— I trashed it immediately, and that was the only cue. A couple of hours of work that didn't didn't feel like it was headed in the right direction, and I don't think I had any thing but just wows and amazing and we're so lucky to have you with us, and basically them just reiterating all the things that I was thinking, how lucky I am to be here. And they're saying, we're so lucky that you're here. And I'm like, no, I feel lucky to be here. (laughs) It really was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And the only thing better than Moss is double Moss. So it was literally twice the music with twice the number of live players and you know twice the live recording and of course twice the headache for me because I I mixed and mastered and implemented um everything for the soundtrack but that's okay cuz I learned a lot and I'm I'm really happy with the way it sounds
0: well everything is so balanced i mean when i'm listening to those tracks nothing the the levels are great nothing is out of line or out of you know proportion with anything else you can hear the melodies easily and you can hear what, what, you know, what, 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 you want us to hear. So, um, that's great. It doesn't I mean, sound like
1: uh, a bunch of musicians performing in a small bedroom by themselves. Cause that's what it is. <laughs> 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 I mean, there are even examples. Um, there's a track, uh, track eight called the star things way. Mm-hmm. It starts with strings. Um, and there's strings throughout the whole thing. And that's actually me playing cello because I wanted it to be live. And the, the end result sounds the way it does after, after a lot of work, but I think that's four or six tracks of me playing cello over the whole thing. And um, I think 95% of the score is, is probably live. And I remember the, the one piece of feedback that Greg O'Connor Reed gave me when he first listened, um, he said it was a very clear-sounding recording. And that was, to me, kind of the ultimate compliment because there's a lot going on in these tracks You know, you've got all these different parts and you you want the soloist to be upfront and to sound clear and easy to understand but you don't want it to sound like they're separated from everybody else so there was a lot of effort um, put into it but I also I moved into my new studio about six months before the end of the soundtrack so that afforded a lot of luxuries I didn't have before better listening better speakers Um, A better sounding room to be able to balance things and get the mix the way I wanted, understanding how it was going to sound in the real world, that made all the difference in the world.
0: It sounds like everybody was there, in the same studio at the same time, just jamming. And so, great congratulations! It, it's really <laughs> astonishing.
1: Amazing.
0: <laughs> you mentioned um, some of the places where where Quill goes, and one of the ones that is really just so special is a, an abandoned greenhouse. And she, oh, yeah. she's, she, you know, she, she's there on her adventure, and that that track is so interesting because it stands out. It's got a slightly different instrumentation. You you put a nickel harpa in there, and so um, why?
1: <laughs> so that was, I think, maybe the third or fourth track that I wrote, um, and just like the first Moss, the the tracks on the CD on the soundtrack are literally the tracks as I deliver them to Polyarch. It's I would just write these suites, and then we would deconstruct it afterwards and implement it into the game. So I think that was the third track, and I specifically remember Kristen talking about how the garden is beautiful, but it will kill you in a second if you turn your back on it. And we were exploring the idea of having music be beautiful but also off slightly. And uh, I've always wanted to use Nickel Harpa. I wish I owned one, but I don't. But um, usually it's done in a kind of a band setting or a more upbeat sort of thing, or it's doing arpeggios. And there was this little melody that I'd written specifically um, for the greenhouse and I had Ren playing it on cello and Christian was playing it on flute and I played it on piano, but I love the idea of starting the cue out and therefore starting the level out in the game with nickel harpa playing this, it's a very expressive sort of longing, poignant type melody, but the nickel harpa it doesn't have any vibrato because you're bowing it but you're keying the notes like with wooden keys the way you would play a piano so you're not holding your fingers on a string like you would a violin. So it's a very beautiful melody and it's a gorgeous sound, but there's there's no vibrato or really that much expression because you just can only do so much with the nickel harpa. So it's kind of this cold presentation of the theme, but also it's the only time you hear the nickel harpa um, in the score. And hopefully I wanted it to do exactly what you were saying, to sort of stand out and, and be its own thing and create a unique headspace for the player when they're when they're in that level when they first start out it sounds glassy to me i can't Mm -hmm. explain it any other way
0: yeah no it does it has a and maybe it's because you know we know it came from sweden but it does have a sort of a icy chilly sound yeah yeah so so it's, it's an excellent choice and it really sets sets off that whole level as something really different There were moments in this game where I just needed a whole box of Kleenex because Quill goes through I know. a lot emotionally. And so I'm wondering if there are any moments that you could touch on or maybe talk about without spoilers, but you know how, what your process was to support that with music.
1: I shed a few tears. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, way, the way games work, um, most of the time, all of your cinematics or uh, library moments, in this case of Moss, or just kind of cinematic moments that maybe get out of gameplay, they all come down to being finished at the end of production. I think one of the very last things I did was the opening library cue. As a matter of fact, I think the very last cue I wrote was the opening menu for the screen, like that has the little solo piano on it. But in a way, that's how I want to do it because that way you've got the experience of having written all of these melodies and themes and harmonies and instrumentation, and you can sort of leverage it emotionally the way you want. So most of the heart-rending moments that we're talking about came at the end of production. And I already had my melodies. And so one of the cues, track five, The King's Glass, starts with a chord progression that I ended up writing, actually, at the very end of the journey in making the soundtrack. And it's not incredibly complicated, but it's just innately beautiful to me. And I I wrote it on the piano back in the corner of the studio here. um, And I didn't even know what I wanted it for. I just had this idea for this theme that was playing and this specific chord progression in the morning before I had gotten into the studio. And I figured out what it was. And then I sort of played it into the computer real quick and just put it on a shelf, and maybe a week later, um, I think was when we started scoring the the last couple of cinematics in the game, which I won't talk about because we don't want to do any spoilers, but um, that progression is used, I think, three or four times in the game, and it's kind of like, um, it's like Quill's loss is how I would think of it. It's just a mournful, sad, reflective um, kind of... Kind of theme, and I can't even I can't even talk about it without my voice cracking a little bit because I start thinking about scoring those cinematics, and it was just oh, it was just wonderfully um, painful <laughs> to have to watch it <laughs> and to listen to all of her little um, voiceover stuff, and then Morla's dialogue, and it was oh it, it was such a privilege to do, but like an emotional roller coaster, the biggest one I've ever had working on a game before, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. She's such an, a, a fleshed-out character and really complex, and this adventure really tests her. And a thing that wasn't quite so clear in, in the first game but is in this one is her her moments of self-doubt and, like, is she really doing the right thing? And that, just those moments, I think, really make her feel so much more real.
1: I completely agree, and I think that the writers did an amazing job sort of exploring like, okay, we did the first one. Well, where can we go from here? And not only do they take you there, they, they push through that because kind of like you said at the beginning, it's like, oh, well, surely this isn't going to happen. And then things happen. And it's, it's, I mean, I was, I was pretty shocked when I was reading the script or talking With the audio directors about the storyline and everything and i think that's a testament to good writing and you know hanging it all out there and just going for it not worrying about implication or if it's going to be to this or to that doing what they felt like was true to quill and to her character and to the story and to the world of moss um yeah,
0: yeah, just, just just amazing. And whoever did Quill's little voiceovers, her little tiny, the tiny noises that she makes is just it adds so much and it makes her feel really, really real.
1: And yeah, the voiceover stuff breaks my heart and her animation is just so incredibly well done. Um, I mean, the, well, the whole point of the first one, right, was to create a, an emotional bond between the player, the person playing the game, and and Quill, the character in the game, and boy, did it work. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, in and, and in
0: this one, yep, they, and they explore the, the idea that not everybody thinks the, the character that the player plays, the reader, is a good idea, because they're not all as morally you know, straightforward as as the play, the person playing the games. And so that's another really interesting aspect to this game. And I can't say really a whole lot more than that because I don't want to have any spoilers. But one of the interesting things about that part of the game is the icy world where you get to go. And that must have been kind of an interesting area to score.
1: I think if we're talking about the same thing, that was literally the very first cue that I wrote, it's track 11 called The Winter Glass. And I love that level, and that was sort of me trying out different instruments and a couple of uh, new melodies for some new characters, as well as the flutes and everything with Kristen. And um, the piano, which oh, your new piano. was a wonderful yeah. journey that took me probably six weeks to figure out which piano I wanted. When I finally decided that I wanted to get a piano, this piece, had already been written, but it was the only piece that was written, and i narrowed it down to two different pianos in two different stores. So I took this piece on a laptop with some headphones and a microphone, and I played the piano part on both pianos in both stores, Uh, and there was no one else in the store. The store was closed. It was quiet and everything, and took both of them home and listened to them just to see how each piano, because they had very different characters, how they sat in the mix, and it was hands down, the one I ended up choosing, which is a Steinway, was the perfect sound. And what you hear actually in track 11 is my single take live piano performance that I recorded in the piano store. Because I I wanted to leave it. Um, I didn't see any reason to re-record it once I had the piano here in the studio. And I thought it sounded great. And that's sort of the testament to how amazing the instrument is because it literally just has a little bit of space on it to help it blend with the instruments, but nothing else. That's, that's how it would sound if you sat down right here behind me and played it. It's just a beautiful, beautiful sound. <laughs>
0: It just it adds a lot to the, the soundtrack, for sure. And it just must be so much fun to have a whole new instrument that you can play and add to your music, too.
1: It made all the difference in the world. I, I love my little Celtic harp, and I did a lot of stuff on the first Moss with that Celtic harp, but it is a little lap harp, and I'm not a Celtic harp player, so it's not the most expensive harp, and it just constantly goes out of tune now. Um, And I broke a couple of the strings accidentally, and I love the idea of having something maybe a little more reliable and a little more expressive that I could base the second score around. And I would say, to go back to your very first question, that was probably the third aspect of the score that I didn't know at the very beginning but that eventually ended up being a huge part of how the score was written was, was that piano. Not only is it featured a lot and you hear it doing solos and you hear it Um, reinforcing low end and you hear it at the beginning of tracks all by itself but I wrote all the music except for the very first cue all that music was written on the piano here here in the studio I have um, my, my main computer screen and my keyboard typing keyboard and mouse I've got a duplicate copy of that sitting right above my piano so when I sit down at the piano I can you know drive recording and move things around and do whatever I need and just I'll just sit there for a couple of hours and record piano stuff. It's like a one-man studio, literally.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What I love about the way you included it is it's absolutely to scale with the rest of the music and the world of Moss because you don't have those, you know, great big bashy Rachmaninoff type chords. It's it's very yeah. <laughs> simple. <laughs> and so it, it 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 fits right in with the rest of the ensemble.
1: I think we've got like the tiniest bit. I love that you mentioned um, Rachmaninoff. Um, the last couple of tracks, which are at the end of the game, the, the soundtrack is mostly in chronological order, but there's a lot of crunch chords in there. Some like chunk, 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 kind of crunchy you know, more like late 19th century harmonies. I wasn't necessarily thinking about Rachmaninoff, but um, it was nice because no matter what I play on that piano, it sounds good, and it sits It sits right in the mix. And if I tried doing that with a computer-made piano, it just never really, you know, it's like, no, a little bit of EQ, no, a little bit more reverb, no, that's too much low-end, no, it's too, it just always doesn't sound right and this thing is just mm, perfect.
0: Well I have a pianist friend who discovered recently in a major power outage the piano was the one thing that still worked and he realized (laughs) that uh, it's basically it's a machine and it's it's all mechanical and I mean obviously you can get a lyrical sound from it but when you're dealing with mechanical enemies like Quill is in in Moss it kind of makes sense that you're Kind of pounding, and you know that you can kind of visualize the hammers hitting the strings and
1: stuff. That's a, that's a great point. Um, I was I was working on the music for Lone Echo Two, which is all synthesizers, and one song has a piano note that I recorded, and I was commenting to the developer, um, Ready at Dawn, that, that this is all synthesizers except this one piano note. I recorded literally the highest note on my piano because I'd just gotten it, and I pitched it down like five octaves, and it was this sort of blooming like. Like low, sort of sound. And one of them, who's a big music buff like I am, said, Well, technically, the piano is a machine, so you're still covered. Because <laughs> I was trying to do, like, you know, synthesizers, robot sort of kinds of things. And yeah, it is. It's a very complicated, beautiful machine. Yeah, it's,
0: that's just so cool. What was it like for you to wrap up this score? I mean, you spent so much time in this world and and thinking about the music. And I'm just wondering, because for me, this this game was a real emotional roller coaster, and I didn't want it to end. And so I'm just wondering, you know, what it felt like to finally wrap up the music.
1: I don't think it would be an understatement um, to say that it was emotionally devastating. (laughs) Mm.
2: (laughs) Because I was finished.
1: Literally, the last things I did were the very end and the very beginning. In that order, I did the very end first, which just about killed me, but it was so satisfying musically. Um, There's a lot, it's the very last track on the soundtrack, track 17, Letting Go, but you can hear um, like a major key version of kind of the main theme, which I love, uh, amongst a bunch of other themes. It's like everything kind of comes back, and I wouldn't have been able to write that piece of music if I'd started for some reason, scoring that at the beginning of the journey or even halfway through. It, it needed to be at the end. And it was one of those things. Normally, I'm a nine to five Monday through Friday composer because that's how I'm productive. But this particular cue, I think I got it maybe at two o'clock in the afternoon and I watched it and just about fell out of my chair just from the emotional impact of everything that was happening. And had to finish up whatever I was working on, a different cue that afternoon. But after dinner, I just couldn't get out of my head, and I had to come back, and I sat at the piano for maybe 30 or 40 minutes, figuring out how I wanted the chords to work, and I just had to get it in the computer and get it sort of finished. And I think I worked from, you know, 8 until midnight that night, and then I was a wreck the next morning because I didn't go to bed on time. But it was so worth it because it was just like something that needed to be done and i needed to do it immediately because i was afraid i was going to forget and it just has an emotional weight the scene does that I i thought the music really needed to kind of lend itself that same kind of emotion So as a result of that, it was a lot easier going back to the beginning and saying, okay, let's score the opening cinematic. That's that's fairly straightforward. I can use the melody and then the very last thing, which I didn't even know if we were going to do or not, um, Stephen, I think, sent me a message and said, we just need a little opening at the very, very, very beginning of the game. The same way we used... The first moss and i was like oh well that's going to be easy because the very beginning of the first moss was me improvising on celtic harp just doing some stuff so i'm just going to go improvise on piano and i literally hit record and sat down at the piano and just and played exactly what you hear and didn't change it and i there's some string sounds over it but the piano part is exactly what i played and i hope exactly what welcomes people back to the world of Moss. It's the same idea as the harp, but done on piano.
0: It just—it was such an incredible moment to fire up my, you know, PSVR and be there and and hear that. And it was like this is a world I really, really missed, and it's going to be so much fun to be part of it again.
1: I agree a thousand percent. It was that—that's why it was so. That's why I say emotionally devastating, not in a bad way, and in, in, in a sad, in in a like bittersweet sad way because. I was able to do so much that I never thought I'd actually be asked to write that kind of music. Everyone always associates graves, you know, tombs and dead space and all that scary dark pictures and everything. So, just having permission to write the kind of music that honestly I really love writing that melodic, just poignant, just oh, heart ringing. Kind of music that I love to listen to and that moves me so much to be able to have the chance to try to write something to, that comes anywhere close to the sort of things I've listened to in the past was just an incredible privilege. And I was sad. I was sad to see it end. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe
0: there'll be like a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of DLC. And they'll need the, just another, you know, 12 or 15 minutes. <laughs>
1: so, hey, there's always hope. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it has been so much fun to lift up the hood and peek under peek into the engine and and just hear about how you created the soundtrack cuz it's just phenomenal and I mean, you should be really proud of it. It's just it's just incredible. So, it's been really really fun to talk about it with you and you know, just thank you so much for your time.
1: Oh, I couldn't thank you enough because you always have such insight and such interesting questions and perspective that just kind of put a spin on things for me in a very good way and some really good insight that, um, you know, as a composer, you're putting these things together and there's all these reasons that we do things and most of the time they're for us. And when other people can pick up, even on the tiniest bit, it's like, oh, yeah, you got that. Excellent. So it's, it's always a nice little pat on the back. Thank you very, very much.
0: Well, hopefully we'll have a chance to talk again soon. That would be great.
1: Oh, absolutely. I promise. Mm.